Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me is Mr. Dominic Stern. What's going on, Dominic? How are you doing today, man? Well, I'm doing great. I get to watch Padres baseball for at least another three games, hopefully some more, uh, depending on how they do in the division series against the Dodgers. It was a crazy week. I got to see the first ever Padres postseason series, and uh, they, they won once. They've won one postseason game in my life, but this was my uh, first ever time being able to celebrate a Potter's postseason series victory. Yeah, it's a pretty magical time. If you're living under a rock and you don't know, the Padres came back uh, after losing the first game against St. Louis. You know, that second game was pretty back and forth. I think I tweeted something like it summarized what it's like to be a Padre fan. And it really was because it, it, you felt the lows in that game. Like the season was over. Uh, you looked at the bench towards the fifth, fourth, fifth, Sixth inning, even that they they were down until that Tatis hit. I mean, I and you could just sense it was just they needed one swing of the bat, one moment to get them motivated, and uh, it certainly happened. It's uh, magical times in San Diego. Game three was was awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about about that series. I know you spoke uh, with Bobby for your Devils talking Padres, and you guys summarized it and stuff. But let's let's get into it. Uh, let's start with game one. You know, that was another game where I felt they were just one hit away from taking that game. I, I don't know what you felt, Dominic. Yeah, the offense, I thought, did a very good job throughout the entire game. Now, they did strand a ton of runners, but even their outs were a lot of hard hit outs. And I think a lot of credit goes to the coaching staff of the St. Louis Cardinals in that game. They put the fielders in the right position. They pulled the right strings when it came to bullpen brought in Giovanni Gallegos to face Tatis with multiple runners on, brought in Alex Reyes. They're, they're just bringing in relievers left and right and ended up pulling the right strings because the Padres got to, to Kim, the left-handed starter for the Cardinals who had been stellar all year for them. And the Padres hadn't been great against left-handed starting pitchers all year, but they, they broke through, they got to him. But the problem was, is that they were dug a deep hole by starter Chris Paddock. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're a huge Chris Paddock fan, obviously. I think a lot of people expected more from him, even though he had looked really bad at times this season. The the last few starts gave some encouragement that he would find his release point with his fastball. The biggest issue with him is the change is, is, is not becoming an effective weapon right now because he's not able to locate it on the same plane as the fastball. So I think batters are, are just recognizing recognizing it earlier and 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 hunting fastballs on him and unless you're throwing 98 99 miles per hour consistently you're going to get beat at 94 in this day and age in, in the game uh give me your thoughts on paddock and and how they can get something out of him because honestly he's going to have to pitch the series i mean this series is probably going to go four or five games i don't see either team being swept and with their no off days there's a likelihood that we're going to see Chris Paddock in the rotation at some point. Yeah. He's going to be used uh, whether or not you like it. There's no other way around it. Unless if they want to bring up multiple prospects, which I don't think that's the way to go. There's way too much uncertainty there because we have seen several times that Chris Paddock can still perform. We've seen it in a couple of outings as both outing against the Mariners, the outing against the Rockies in Coors Field. Those are just a couple of examples. There's been a lot of bad in the second half of the year, uh, especially with the spot game. It all stems from the fastball command because he's throwing strikes. That's not the problem. That's never going to be his problem. His problem is, is he's not throwing enough quality strikes. What made him so effective in 2019 was he'd throw the fastball up the letters. He'd throw the fastball at the knees. He'd throw the fastball east and west, which I think he's still doing a good job of locating east and west, but almost everything's belt high. And when it's belt high, the hitter can set their sights a little lower than they would have to if the fastball is more effective up. And if you set your sights low, the changeup all of a sudden becomes less effective because 
his changeup looks just as good as last year. The changeup's not the problem. It's 100% fastball. And it seems like he's kind of in his own head at this point, which is really unfortunate because he says that he's just a mental monster. He wants to go on and dominate you. And it's it's not looking great for Paddock, but the Padres are going to need him if they want to move on, unless if they can somehow win games one, two under either Denelson Lamette or Mike Clevenger, which I think we'll talk about in a bit. And then Davies, and then they just say, hey, let's go bullpen game three try and get out of the way. And then if we have to, we can go Chris Paddock in game four. That's really the only way I see Chris Paddock not pitching in the NLDS. And like you already mentioned, I don't see the Padres sweeping the Dodgers. It's yeah. it's a tough situation with Chris Paddock because the Padres are limited with starting pitching injuries and that they're going to need him. There's, I don't think there's any other way around it. I mean, let's, let's take a step back here and, Think about this. This is a 24-year-old pitcher. This isn't – he's still very young. He's still figuring out the game. I think that the third pitch is – is. I mean, it's not a, It's not any secret that that's definitely a key to his success. He needs to be able to snap over that curve for strikes and, and throw it behind in the count and, and, and use the pitch and use it more consistently. It's frustrating seeing the growth of a young pitcher – at an opportune moment like it is now, but I think that's just all we're seeing. I know that some people are talking about possibly using him as a reliever in next year. I think it's too early to talk about that. It's tough. It's very tough seeing a young pitcher struggle, but all of them do. Nolan Ryan was a mess when he was with the Mets. I mean, there's pitchers that just, it takes getting knocked around in order for them to get out of their stubborn ways and, and listen to their coaching staff and, and make the amendments and make the changes and, and finally locate fastballs where they need to and, and really do the things that, that need to be done. We can't question his work ethic. The man works his tail off. He's he's prepared. He's ready to go. I, I think it's just the mental aspect and the stubbornness and, and just the willing to grow as a pitcher that he needs to, to learn. And, and again, he's 24 years old. He's going to be needed in this series. If the Padres advance, we're talking about seven-game series. This He's going to be needed. This is a pitcher who's going to be needed. So the Padres, are. I think that's why they they gave him that, that start in game one, hoping that he put in five, six quality innings, got his confidence up, and, and, and just went on from there. I mean, this is a story that's been told many times. Pitchers just awaken in the playoffs and, and, and just – blossom throughout their career from from that so we'll have to hope that's the case with Chris Paddock you know I know you're a huge fan uh, I am as well he's a great person great person to talk to just really understands the game and, and wants to be succeed but sometimes the game will humble you and it I think we're at this point with Chris Paddock right yes he said multiple times the game will humble you if you ever get complacent and he's definitely seeing that you already mentioned it could move to the bullpen starting next year. I think he's definitely got the mentality to come out of the bullpen. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him coming out of the bullpen at some point over the course of this postseason, especially yeah. if the Padres continue to move on. And he started, in my opinion, he started game one because the Padres didn't really have another option because the game was on Wednesday and Zach Davies pitched on Saturday. Yeah. Well, it Chris Paddock pitched Davies. on Friday. Yeah, it wasn't going to be Davies. But, I mean, they could have gone Richards. They could have they could have thrown Patino. I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, they, they were kind of hamstrung with Paddock, but we're, we're getting sidetracked because we're, we're trying to talk about the series. So let, let's try to focus more on the Dodger series. That game one was a little demoralizing getting down four early. Uh, I think that it let the air out of the balloon, if you will. And it took them a little bit of time to build up that momentum. Let's talk about momentum in the game. And that's something that the Padres were able to capitalize and grasp in, in game two. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, they were down early, seemed really low. Seemed kind of uh, complacent, kind of, kind of just accepting of the fact that they're going to lose the game, if you will. And, and then it took a magical hit for them to, to to just get sparked. So talk about that game, if you will, and, and your feeling as a fan and how it was an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, I mean, at one point, I I was sitting on the couch and we were down 4 nothing. I'm like, not this again. Like, the Cardinals... They play well what it matters most, which is incredible because when you look at the talent on that team, on paper, they're not a great team, especially hitting-wise. But, man, they jumped out early on both teams, and I'm sitting there like, this season's going to end. And 
as of late, my uh, my friends have accused me of of jinxing stuff because I, I have my group chat with my friends back home. And so uh, I tweeted out like, man, I can't believe the Potter seasons can end like this. You know, if it ends, then I'm, I'm out ahead. Like, oh, man, like I sweet like this game and the season's going to end. But then if they come back, I can like be like, oh, I jinxed it. And so that's exactly what I did. And the Padres, like I said, they were getting base runners on and you could just feel that they were getting close to just bursting out. And they finally did it with that home run from Fernando Tatis Jr. And a lot of credit needs to go to Austin Nola and Jake Cronenworth at the bottom of the order for getting on base the entire series. Jake Cronenworth was unbelievable. I could argue that he was possibly the series MVP. It'd be a tough argument, but he he was incredible getting on base all the time for the Padres. And then Manny Machado followed it up. It's the little things like that 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 this team failed to do in 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 the past and that they're doing now that you really see as a fan, you really see as a student of the game, you really recognize and go, wow, look, that's not going to get any recognition in, in the stat book or anything, but the team, the teammates love that. They, they approve of that. They, that's the little things like that, which really build chemistry and really make this team fun to watch. And it's amazing baseball. And, and Jace Tingler and his staff deserve a lot of praise for, for what they've done uh, in, in turning over the staff and, and getting this winning baseball attitude to, to the Padres. Uh, game three was a, was a redemption game. A lot of fans were nervous. Craig Stammen started the game, got five outs, pretty much shut up uh, Padres Twitter for the day. He takes a lot of abuse. You know, Stammen is one of those pitchers who he'll have five or six appearances of scoreless frames, and then he'll get rocked in a seventh or eighth appearance and fans just remember that seventh or eighth appearance because he just gave up five runs and in a, in an inning, a, a third of an inning or, or it, that's just nature. Of- it's easier to yell at a player for being bad when they're like the role player than yeah. to praise them when they're good. Now exactly. when Fernando Tatis Jr. Because he's a star, whenever he does something good, everyone goes nuts. But when he's not like doing great, you know, obviously when he was in that huge slump, people were like, yo, Tatis, but like, when he, when he makes the error, everyone's kind of like, oh, I'm not going to talk about that. Like, I, I don't want to talk about that. And like you mentioned, he has some bad outings. He strings together a lot of good outings. And part of why I wasn't upset with Craig Stammen starting the game is because he was going to have to pitch eventually during the game. He might as well get, get it out of the way. But he actually wasn't as bad this season as a lot of fans made it out to be. His 5.63 ERA in the regular season was not great. But when you look at his FIP fielder independent pitching, it was a 3.36 FIP, which is a 2.27 difference. So that basically means that he was really just getting unlucky. Batters weren't really hitting the ball hard. And you see that a lot with guys that throw sinkers that run away or run towards the barrel. And so what happens is you get a lot of rollovers, you get a lot of jammed hits. And that's what was really happening to Craig Stammen. And it finally showed up and he pitched phenomenal he looked phenomenal for the San Diego Padres starting the game. He's got that experience. It made sense. Jace Tingler pulled all of the right strings in game three. It was truly a managerial masterpiece. Yeah, it it, it really was. It, it was, it, it was nerve wracking, honestly, but the Padres are set up with a formula where if they have the lead heading into the sixth or seventh inning, they should win the ball game. I mean, when you're talking about, Pagan, Pomerantz, Rosenthal, and and then quality pitchers behind them or, or in front of them, if you will. Adams has looked amazing and and throwing just frisbee sliders up there. This this team, if they can get a lead early, should have success. It, it the starting pitching just needs to make it through the lineup twice and only allow a run if that uh, and, and this team is set up for success and game three was just amazing that they were able to pull off a shutoff shutout win like that Padre fans went crazy it was a little surreal I think for a lot of fans I think that's what led to the celebration on the streets a lot of pent-up frustration from not being able to see this team firsthand it's just so San Diego that this team is playing so well <laughs> advancing the playoffs and none of us can see it and now they're moving to Texas. So uh, I think a lot of people didn't understand why they were celebrating on the streets then, because I think a lot of people realized that was the only opportunity to celebrate with the players, if you will. If the team advances all the way to the World Series, they're going to be thousands of miles east in Texas, and it's just not going to be the same feeling. 
of course, there's going to be celebration, but it's just not going to be the same feeling. So I think nationally, uh, San Diegans took a lot of abuse for celebrating a wild card victory on the streets. But a lot of that is just frustration from fans themselves. I mean, the city of San Diego has let down the fans more than the fans have let down the city of San Diego. Let's just be honest. Right. And I mean, the Potters have always been middle of the pack in attendance, despite having a subpar uh, record. Uh, attendance exceeds where the Padres stand in the standings. And I don't think a lot of teams can say that, you know, the giants certainly over the past couple of years are among one of those teams that comes to mind, but Potters fans show up uh, and the Potters fans get a bad rep because when teams like the Dodgers, the giants or the Cubs, those very loud fan bases, when their team comes to town, they fill the stadium because Potters fans know they can sell those tickets. They don't have to go to that game. And then they get a bad reputation uh, amongst baseball fans. And it's unfortunate because Potters fans know where they stand. We know that we're a team that doesn't win. We can't really do much talking, but we know that we show up and we know that we love our team. And you saw in San Diego, the, the crowds like throughout the year around the stadium. And of course, now later in the season, we've really seen it because fans really started to feel it like, Hey, this is something special. Yeah. And yeah. they're down there. And it's also because the Potters haven't won a series since 1998. It's been over 20 yeah. years since Potters <laughs> really had to celebrate something. Exactly. So you know, they were down there in the streets. I wish I could have been there. I would I would have been there with a mask. Uh, a lot of not mask wearing, which you know. Yeah. Is it the high five? The high fives with no mask was kind of a little sketchy, in my opinion. I don't know if I would have partaken that, but you know, teach their own. You know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic here, uh, but I can certainly understand the celebrating and, and just the joy. Um, it, it's it's a lot of pen up, pen up frustration for fans, a lot of younger fans like yourself that have never seen this team succeed. And and that's what it's all about is, is that you can be proud to be a Padre fan now and, and can wear your jersey and can wear your hat. And 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 be proud of that fact, and that's it's it's a long road, and it, it's awesome that uh, San Diegans can have that uh, respect about their baseball team. Absolutely, it was it was a great week. I was caught many times yelling, "Let's effing go!" from my balcony. <laughs> but the 19 years of my life where I've spent the, watching the Padres just not win, and I'm finally getting it, and it was me letting out that frustration in celebration. They have a tough series ahead of them against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Let's briefly talk about that. Pitching is definitely going to be key here as the Dodgers definitely have the advantage in the starting staff, uh, unless Clevenger and, and Lament can pull up a miracle. Um, well, let's, let's hit on that topic. First of all, I'm really skeptical on whether or not either pitcher should pitch in this series. I mean, I, I want them to pitch, but I'm, I worry about their long-term health. These are pitchers that are under contract for, a couple years each. Lamette's just coming off an arm injury. Clevenger's had past arm issue. I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm skeptical on whether or not I can trust the Padres training staff. I mean, let's just be, let's just be blunt. Risking them is really, really an interesting topic. Give me your thoughts about it. I, I know that. Of course, we want them to go out there, throw five shutout innings, and, and come on the ball game and and be ready to make their start next time out. But give give me your thoughts on on both pitchers and whether or not they should risk them, or, or whether or not we will even see them uh, this series. I think the word that I would use is torn because I definitely feel the same way that you feel. If we're going to put them out there and jeopardize their health, don't do it. Please do not wreck Clevenger or Lamette's future with the Padres to try and beat the Los Angeles Dodgers, arguably one of the greatest teams I've ever watched. So it's a tough spot because the Padres do need starting pitching. This has been a strength of their team all year. And of course, as soon as we get close to the postseason, they go down. It's a tough spot because Clevenger, he's a, he's going to be on the team for the next two years. Uh, Lamette next three. So these guys do have time with the team. Obviously, you never know. The Potters may never make the postseason again. They're certainly set up to, but you never know. Baseball is a weird sport like that. I mean, we saw the Cubs would make that magical run in 2016. Everyone was talking about how many World Series teams could win. I mean, they made the NLCS the next year. 
then then lost in the wild card round and then missed the playoffs the following year. So you never know if you're ever going to get back if you're a Padres fan. So if they feel like they can be healthy, they can go out and they can pitch by all means, but you got to make sure that you're making the right decision for their futures uh, going forward. And then you got to also pay attention to Mike Clevenger. Mike Clevenger has been out for quite some time now at this point because he was scheduled to pitch in the middle of September against the Angels, and he only ended up pitching one inning. And that came back on September 23rd. And other than that, his last actual start in which he like basically went out and pitched was September 13th against the Giants. He has one inning since then. Do we really want to throw this guy in to face the Dodgers? I'm not exactly sure if that's a great strategy. Now, the Potters, like I said, don't have a ton of options. That that, that might be their only choice, though. Yeah. Well, let's discuss the rotation if Lament and Clevenger are both out of it. You're you're looking at, again, you're looking at Davies and Paddock leading this rotation. I mean, what are the other choices? Richards? Patino, Morahone, but but in Patino and Morahone, you're talking about a 20 and a 21 year old who they could either sink or swim in a, in a in a national stage against the Dodgers, and you can't stick a stick them out there and fall behind three nothing right away in the first inning. It, it, that would be really catastrophic. So I, I don't know what other options do the Padres have behind Davies and Paddock. And possibly Richards. I mean, when you look at it, that's probably the three pitchers that are going to start the series, right? I mean, if Lament and Clevenger are down, that's where they're probably going to go. Or am I missing something? Or are we going to see Stam in part two? Uh, give me your thoughts on on what they could do. No, I think that if both Lament and Clevenger don't pitch in the series, it would take nothing short of a miracle to get past the Los Angeles Dodgers in this five-game series. And if you're going to do that, I think that you do have Paddock, Davies, and then Richards. I don't think Richards is going to be used that much out of the bullpen this series because the Padres will need him to start. Yeah. Uh, when the Padres move him out to the bullpen, they probably figured that Clevenger and Lamette would be pitching in the postseason. And they could get away with using him out of the bullpen in a three-game series. In a five-game series against the Dodgers, that probably won't fly. Now, last year, what happened was is the Nationals were using Patrick Corbin out of the bullpen. And I think that they could possibly use Richards out of the bullpen in game one, have him sit out game two, and then have him go three or four innings in game three. That's the way I could see them using Richards. And like I said, nothing short of a miracle if the Potters are going to win the series. So what they could do is because you're not going to have to rely on your bullpen as much in a three-game series, in a five-game series, is you could bring up Ryan Weathers or even Mackenzie Gore to possibly be a starter for one of these games. Is it risky? 110%. But if you don't have Levent or Clevenger, your options are very thin as it is. And I think Morejo and Patino are going to have to give us some good innings out of the bullpen, especially if Zach Davies and Chris Paddock pitch like how they did in their starts. Now, okay, granted, well, let's wait. Let's talk about you. I mean, you just mentioned Morejo and Patino out of the bullpen, but if this series goes five, and it's five straight games. I have to remind people, this isn't a break in between. Your number one pitcher who starts game one is not going to be able to pitch game five, at least not effectively, or at least, I mean, you're talking about three days yeah. rest. So is Davies or Paddock capable of pitching on three days rest? So you're going to have to leave a Morajon or a Patino available in case they make it to five, or do you want to go a bullpen day for your whole season against the, I mean, and my gut tells me this series is going to go four or five, regardless of who wins. There's no way that either team is probably going to be swept. So the Padres have pitching issues. I think it's interesting. It's interesting. And, and again, you're, you're going to have to count on Chris Paddock. You're going to have to get five quality innings from him. You're going to have to get quality innings from Richards as well. You don't want to tax this bullpen going into the next series against the, the Braves or, uh, or uh, Marlins with a seven game series with a, with a spent bullpen. So I don't know. Do the, the, I think the, the one thing that we haven't discussed is Mackenzie Gore. Does AJ Preller pull that card out? And again, we're talking about a 21 year old pitcher who would be making his major league debut in the playoffs. Gore has that type of mentality, but the game can speed up on you. The game can get overwhelming especially on the national stage. 
I, I don't know. I think that might be their ace in the hole if they have to shut down Lament or Clevenger or both for the rest of the bowl season. Um, your thoughts on Gore and whether or not he would be able to handle the potential start, uh, major league debut in in the playoffs. I mean, has the pitcher ever even done that? Made their major league debut in the playoffs? I don't recall. I think there's a couple of players who have, but I don't think either of them were pitchers. Yeah, I mean, David Price dominated back in the days for the Devil Rays, but he had pitched a couple of games, a handful of games before the season ended. There might be a reliever or something that 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 made their major league debut in the playoffs, but. I'm not, I can't think of anyone, and especially a top prospect in all of baseball like that. I mean, it would be unprecedented. It would be a total AJ Preller type move, right? I mean, to bring your top prospect in baseball to face uh, a Dodgers against in a playoff series. I don't know. I'm we're just spitballing here. There's, there's, they, they've seen him throw plenty of times at Petco. They're aware of what he needs to work on and whether or not he's able or capable of doing this at this point. I guess we'll just have to wait and see, right? Yeah, I, I don't think it's feasible to bring up Gore or Weathers or any of those guys if Lamette or Clevenger are available. Now, if they aren't, then it becomes a huge question. And yeah. no one really knows anything. And I, I can't decide if that's strategy or if the Padres just don't even know because it could be a great strategy that they're trying to hide all their information, make the Dodgers keep guessing, which is a good strategy. Or if the Padres are still just waiting and seeing. Now we saw... Dennis Lynn tweet out that uh, it seems like both guys are having some good days and having some not so great days. So we, we really don't know what's going on. All we can really do is speculate and say, this is the, the pros and the cons of each situation. And like I said, I think it's going to be a miracle if the Padres do end up winning the series without Clevenger and Lament. And if that's what happens, then that would be truly remarkable. Yeah. Well, We'll have to wait and see. I think that the the fighting spirit on this team cannot be sold short. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Jace Tingler deserves a lot of praise for for what he's done with this team. Damian Easley deserves a lot of praise for what he's done with the hitters and and their approach at the plate. You know, I saw Bobby Dickerson and Wayne Kirby in spring training before the pandemic. And and seeing Dickerson get in the players' faces, I mean, literally get in their faces and and tease them and, and demean them. And, and we're talking about Manny Machado and Eric and Eric Hosmer. He was doing this too in, in front of uh, Anderson and I and other media members that were that were watching some infield drills. It's motivating. It's 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 sometimes million dollar players need that. They need that dose of of, of humble pie to kind of get them back grounded. And they responded. the The praise from the staff is it's just I can't I can't do it enough. I, I wish that under normal circumstances, I would have been able to contact them and get get to know them a little better, but there's just been no media contact at all. It's wonderful to see this team rally around each other and rally around their staff and, and rally around Jason Tingler at such a young managerial age. I said the, the coaching staff deserves a ton of credit and it's something that Potters have really lacked. And we talked about this with Dave Pillay on the last episode of the EVT podcast. Go check that out if you haven't listened to it. Coaching staff. I mean, it's incredible. And I mean, the ESPN broadcasters, which that's a whole nother thing we can talk about. They were talking about the Potters coaching staff all the time and they were praising them, which is something that we're not used to. We're used to having the the cycle of hitting coaches that just don't help our offense. And it's like, man, when is this going to change? The Potters coaching staff surrounded by Jace Tingler has been dynamic. And it's been part of the reason the Potters have the third best record in all of baseball this year the second best record in the national league. It was truly an incredible transformation. And it's hard to believe that Jace Tingler's maybe not even the NL manager of the year favorite, uh, which could go to Don Mattingly for what he did with the Miami Marlins, but the Padres coaching staff deserves a ton of credit. And I believe that they're one of the bigger reasons why the Padres are successful this year, not because of the player production. Obviously that's a, big part of it too, but yeah. the coaching staff, I think has done a bigger part in getting those players to produce. Yeah. yeah. I mean, getting the most out of your players. I mean, Tingler came over with the player development uh, background. So we knew that he was going to be able to relate to these guys. He's going to be able to talk to them. He's going to communicate with them. Uh, but the motivational factor from a Dickerson, from a Wayne Kirby, from, from other coaches that have really made the difference on this team. It's, 
it's just night and day. Uh, Skip Schumacher has also done a lot for this team. He's been here, you know, with Andy Green. Uh, he's seen the transformation from these players and seen that they're putting in a, a, a better effort, a, a more of a team effort. They're having fun. And, and I think having fun and being productive can go hand in hand. And, and the Padres have been able to find that mysterious combo and, 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 and done well with it. So, uh, all looks well for this season, no matter what happens uh, this series. It's been a successful year for this team. Um, but I'd like to move forward to next year. Let's talk a little bit about 2021, if you will. Let's spitball a little bit about that. My biggest question is, what will this rotation look like in 2021? I mean, assuming we're going to get a healthy Clevenger, we're going to get a healthy Lament back. Obviously, that's one and two. Uh, behind them, you have Davies, you have Paddock. You have three young phenoms in Gore, Morhone, and Patino. Adrian Morhone, in particular, has really matured as a pitcher and looks like he deserves a shot at a rotation spot. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in five months from now with their arms and 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 whether or not they're feeling up to it or whatever. But at this point, the Padres have a deep rotation, and you have to get the feeling that they're going to flirt with Trevor Bauer a, a little bit this 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 winter uh give me your thoughts on the rotation and if you make a splash and bring in a, a third veteran type arm on the top of this rotation what happens to the patinos and the gores and and, and the morahones and and even chris paddock i don't think morahone and patino have showed me enough to be in the starting rotation now that's because they've been more on a pitch limit they haven't been able yeah. to extend themselves as starters so certainly not ruling that out for the future because those guys have shown their electric stuff and that the stuff we're reading on MLB pipeline, all those tweets about them and such that is real. This isn't just some fake prospect land that we're living in. We're seeing these guys perform. We're seeing the good from them, but at times we've also seen the bad from them. And then I, I wouldn't be opposed to signing Trevor Bauer. I think that's going to cost the Potters a lot of money and a lot of money that they don't really need to spend there because we do have a ton of young options with those guys that you just mentioned that can certainly fill the place that Trevor Bauer would fill. Now, of course he's going to want a yearly contract. Doesn't he just want like 35 million a year or something like that? I mean, it's chump change, right? (laughs) It's not, but uh, I mean, they have a lot of money coming off the books this, this coming season. I think the Oliveris money from the, the Kemp trade uh, comes off the books. There's a couple other players that might also come off the books. Yeah, I mean, they they have the budget to do this if they want to. Uh, you're losing Garrett Richards off 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 a commitment, uh, financial commitment. So, I mean, it, it's feasible. I, I I don't know, but again, is that just being gluttonous and wanting too many pitchers? I mean, it's nice to be that way, right? I mean, we're, we're Padre fans. We're not used to having right. that, that type of <laughs> type yeah. Of, of the clout. fan the fan in me wants Trevor Bauer on the team. Yeah. I just don't know if it's best for the team to spend a ton of money on him when we have some other options that we could use that we have faith in. Gore, Patino. It would have been Cal Quantrill, but he, he's he gone. So that's one less uh, fix in the wrench. And then there's a ton of guys that we could fill in in the rotation. And you got to remember, I'm not sure if any of you fans remember, baseball is a 162-game season. So yes. you need five starters. Yes. Uh, we're not we're not trying to be the Colorado Rockies and working with a four man rotation. That's just not going to work. the The Potters are going to need that good fifth starter, which they kind of lacked this year. They're able to get away with it with a sixty game season, and in the second half of the season, a really effective and dominant bullpen. But there's a ton of young options. I'd personally give Patino a shot. I kind of like Marejon coming out of the bullpen. Both of them have been. Pretty solid. Uh, Patino's still got to fix his command problem or more of a control problem. He, he certainly walked a lot of batters, but both those guys have flashed a lot of stuff that they'll certainly be in a Potter's uniform for the coming years, whether it's bullpen or starting rotation. The team has depth. I mean, there's minor leaguers behind that that, you know, obviously missed a year of, of cultivation, but Weathers is, is moving up, is moving up the pipeline. There's Omar Cruz, there's Ovaldo Hernandez, there's, there's names behind that. Uh, Moss Moser looked very Gabe Moser looked very good this season in, in the minors or this past season. The team's deep. I'm presently working on a top 30, top 50 prospects list. 
it's there's still depth there. It's just a matter of remembering who they are for for Padre fans uh, that haven't had the pleasure of seeing minor league baseball for a year. Um, the rotation set. Let, let's move into the bullpen. Trevor Rosenthal has embraced the city of San Diego. Padre fans love the hundred mile per hour cheese from this man. Is it a no brainer to bring this guy back next season at probably a multiple year contract? I think it is. He's going to cost a lot of money, especially the way he performed this year. He bet on himself coming off of an injury, signed a one year deal with the Royals who really needed bullpen help and he performed for them. And then he got rewarded by being traded to a postseason team and Seven minutes ago, he actually just tweeted out some phone number. I, I'd assume it's his phone number. I, <laughs> I'm i not willing to find out. The interaction uh, with the fan base is, is a way to bring yourself endeared to Padre fans. I mean, let's be honest. They love interacting with players. And right away, he's interacting with players, tweeting his, his Lolita's order and, and, and just being very uh, social media savvy is a way to, to endear yourself to Padre fans for sure. Right, and he came over here a month ago, and he didn't really tweet that much when he was with the Royals. And now he's just been tweeting all the time with Potters fans. And my roommate from freshman year, diehard Royals fan. And, you know, we talked about the trade all the time. And I've just been, like, every tweet he, like, sends, like, positively about, like, the fans and, like, playing in San Diego, I send it to him be like, oh, he's staying. Because his defense for the trade was Rosenthal is from Kansas City. He played for Matheny in St. Louis. So he kind of assumed that Rosenthal would just play one year for the Padres and then, or play one month for the Padres actually, (laughs) and then go back to Kansas city because they were going to offer him some money. But now it's looking like he loves the Padres and I don't see why not the Padres shouldn't throw money at him because he's been locked down. Now in the postseason, he actually wasn't that great, especially in game two. And he allowed a run in game one that really let the game get out of reach. So, he looked great in game three, which is what the game we won. And he got the job done. He came in in the safe situations and got it. He was so dominant for the Padres in September. I don't see a way the Padres don't at least offer him some money. Now, I'm sure other teams that have bullpen needs that are stronger than the Padres will offer him some money too. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a question of, is he going to be out of the price range of the Padres? But like you said, uh, some money is definitely coming out of the books for the Padres, but in a year where they didn't have fans in the stands, the Padres are really relying on the Padres continuing to move on to the postseason so they can have the tailgate lot parties. Yeah. There's a lot of youth on the staff. I mean, a lot of players that are signed long-term in the back end of the bullpen. Uh, Pagan signed through 2024. Uh, Palm Rance is signed through 2024, which, by the way, that four-year, was it $34 million contract? I mean, that looks excellent now. Preller took a lot of heat for that, but Pomerantz has just been amazing out of the bullpen. Kirby Yates is someone that we haven't discussed. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. the 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 cutout The cutout was aboard the plane. The cutout we took the, the pictures with with the players. But the players obviously love Kirby Yates. They understand he's been he was there since since you know the crappy years and helped build this franchise. Do you bring back Yates? I think that that's probably another no brainer. Could you imagine having a bullpen of, of Rosenthal, Yates, Pomerantz, and Pagan, and, and then having Adams and a couple of young guys? After I mean, they're, they're set up for success for a long term, for a long time. And I'm just pleased with the way that Preller has built this team uh, in stages, if you will. So Kirby Yates, 2021, uh, you bring him back on a yearly contract? Or, or how, what's your thoughts on Yates? Yates is a very interesting case because I've said this times before, and I said, I wrote an article for East Village Times prior to the season. It was called Potters with the most to prove coming into the year. And some of the players on the thing performed really well. Jerickson Profar, he killed it. He's going to get paid this offseason. We'll talk about him in a minute, I'm sure. Kirby Yates was on there too, because prior to coming over to the San Diego Padres, he wasn't great. And then the Padres, they revitalized his career. And he had two really good years in 2018 and 2019. Reliever lifespans are normally very short. That's just the way bullpen relievers are, because as soon as the book gets out on you and you're a bullpen guy, those bullpen guys are interesting in the head that they got to come in with the mentality that I'm going to pitch this one inning and I'm going to sit on the bench. And I've been sitting down the entire game. Now I got to get warm and come into the game. And for Kirby Yates, I was a little concerned that he wasn't going to be able to match his previous two seasons. And he didn't. And then he got hurt. And so 
he's put himself in a spot where he was set up to make so much money after 2019. And then he was looking forward to being a free agent, you know, entertaining the offers. He said multiple times he wants to be in San Diego and I a hundred percent believe him, but he lost a lot of money with his 2020 performance and 2020 injury. I'm not entirely sure it's in the Potter's best interest to hold on to him and maybe take a risk on him. There's plenty of bullpen options for the San Diego Padres. I'm sure Kirby Yates will get some money elsewhere. So if I was general manager, I would lean more towards maybe letting Kirby walk. Boo, boo. Yeah, I know that that's not going to be popular. That will not be popular, but I'm just messing with you. But you know, it makes sense because, and it makes sense for Yates because he's probably going to get more money on the open market from the red or, or some obscure, the, the Orioles, some obscure team might offer him a three-year $30 million contract or something that he can't turn turn down. And that's nowhere near what the Padres are going to probably offer him at this point, uh, unfortunately, based upon the fact that they're loaded and and just they probably want to spend money elsewhere. Uh, let's talk about Profar. You mentioned him briefly, free agent at the end of the year. Uh, will probably cash in based upon his season, his year, uh, here in San Diego. Is that someone you flirt with? What's the options with him? In this day and age, it seems like it's nice to have someone with flexibility, someone who can play all over the diamond, which he literally can. Um, and what kind of worth does he have? Because we're talking about a guy who's never hit over 300 in his career, minor leagues included. He has a huge name. Everybody knows his name. But the reality is this is a player that's never hit over 300 ever. So let's talk about Profar, where he fits in, where he fits in for 2021 and whether or not this team will try to make another blockbuster trade or, or is that contingent on whether or not they have success this year? I mean, if you win a World Series title this year, you're obviously not going to want to tinker too much with the team. But if this season ends in failure, where will this team possibly go? Well, with Jerks and Profar, he's another interesting case along with Yates. You know, bringing back Rosenthal is pretty no-brainer. The problem with Profar is that next year with Tommy Pham in left field and it seems like Jake Cronenworth is the future at second base for the moment, Profar doesn't necessarily have that locked-in spot. And with his performance in 2020, he set himself up to make a hefty pay raise because he was being paid $5 million this year. I imagine he gets more than that on the opening market, especially with his performance in the second half of the year. The moment Tommy Pham went out, and he got locked into that left field spot, he just took off. And the thing about Profar, you mentioned he was hit for 300. The dude gets on base. He puts together very good at-bats. He's fast. He can play to several positions. Teams on the opening market are going to want to get Profar. And I'm not sure it makes sense for the Padres to try and get Profar to possibly be a utility guy when he can make so much money and go elsewhere and play the consistent basis. Now, Watching Profar play for this team, he has so much fun playing with Franny Matatis Jr., Will Myers, Manny Machado, Jake Ronworth. It's yeah. very clear that he is having way more fun playing on this team than he did with the Oakland Athletics and the Texas Rangers. That, that's so, that's a beautiful thing about this Padre team is that they're going to attract free agents because they're fun. And, and San Diego is a beautiful place to live. And, you know, it used to be contrary. The ownership would kind of scare anyone from possibly even thinking about flirting with this team. Now you're going to have players. I mean, Trevor Bauer just tweeted at the Red Sox or Boston or something that he was going to Boston. I mean, you're you're going to get players that are going to be flirting with the Padres, flirting with, with the idea of coming to San Diego. And that's, that's a beautiful team. And even taking a discount because they want to play for the Padres, which is a beautiful thing in itself. Yeah, I'm not entirely sold on players wanting to come here on a discount because this team already has its its roster basically full. I mean, well, okay. well, if you're pro far and you're offered uh, three years, thirty five million to go play for, uh, I don't know the. I'm trying to think of a, a crappy team, the, the the Orioles. You're you're offered that to play for a young team, burgeoning maybe, and you're offered. Uh, Two million less a year to play for the Padres. That's, I mean, tough. that's a tough. It's a tough question. Yeah, you're you're right. <laughs> and I'm not Jerickson Profar. I'm not going to make those decisions. Exactly. I so, certainly think the Padres offer Profar some money because 
he was a he's a big part of why the Padres were successful in the second half of the season during Slam Diego because he was getting on base for the top of the lineup, yeah. hitting in the bottom of the order. So, well, see, sometimes he, players like that too. They want to be a utility guy starting every you know game, batting seventh in the lineup, versus going to Baltimore being the man having all the pressure on you to be the man batting third, living to expectations. Sometimes that, that kills a player. And sometimes that in itself isn't worth their value in the long term because they want to sign another contract afterwards. They want to keep building their success. So there's a lot of psyche involved in, in where they sign and what they sign and how much they sign for. So I'm just pleased that players are actually going to, contemplate signing in San Diego where before they would just be like, Oh, hell no, I'm not playing for the Padres. And now it's, it's, it's something that the quality free agents are going to consider. And that's AJ Preller deserves a lot of praise in that from with between the Machado and the, and the Hosmer contract. And even the shields contract before that, they, they, they laid out money and they made a commitment and they showed players that, Hey, we will commit to you long-term. So kudos on, on that regard. Uh, uh, it's just a, it's a wonderful yeah. thing. And one more thing about free agents possibly coming to the Padres is they free agents have seen the Padres throw money at people in free agency. They saw Drew Pomeranz this offseason. They saw Manny Machado a year ago. And then they saw Eric Hosmer the year before. So if you're a free agent, you're seeing the Padres have thrown money out at people. You, you should, you should hit the Padres up and say, Hey, like you guys have any interest in me? Like I, I'd be interested in playing for you. And at the same time, you're also thinking they've thrown money at the free agents before. Why wouldn't they do it now? And another thing is that uh, owner Ron Fowler has been very open with saying the Potters are losing a lot of money without having yeah. fans in the stands. Yeah. So they may a be less. Of, a lot of will- your money is going gone downhill for them. Yes. See, I wouldn't know what that's like because I'm not 21, but as someone who, uh, who sits in the lower level, I certainly see people, you know, just buying beers left and right. And, uh, certainly having a fun time. Uh, I personally go to the game to, to watch my team play, but that's just me. And <laughs> well, the, I mean, Pickle Park is, is a entertainment venue in itself. Uh, right. let's be honest. The, the, almost half the fans there are there just to party and, the baseball game is kind of just the ambiance in, in, in the area, um, Absolutely. Which, is fine, which is fine. They cheer when, when, when others cheer, uh, they celebrate when others celebrate. Uh, but that is a lot of money that they lost from, and, and the surrounding businesses as well have, have just really been decimated by this, but that we're going to start to get into a political thing and a whole, uh, COVID type thing. And we really don't want to hit that, uh, that in this podcast, but, 2020 has been a trying year. It really has. I mean, there's no way around it. Um, you've had to struggle going back to school at ASU. I mean, it's been it's been a struggle. Um, one more thing I want to hit on this this 2021 team is the production that the team's got from Aaron Nola behind the plate. Austin. Austin. Sorry, man. I, I made a mud cat there. Uh, Austin Nola. <laughs> God, he's just looked fantastic. He looks like he's getting better receiving the ball. Honestly, I was really skeptical on the trade when I first saw it because I really didn't know much about him. I'd seen him play, uh, and I knew, I understood that the, he was a team favorite. I, I knew that he was a late bloomer, but I was skeptical on the amount of talent that was given, in, in particular for him, because he was kind of the headline of the deal. But what does Nola bring in 2021? What does his development mean for Frankie Mejia and Luis Camposano? Uh, and in particular, Frankie Mejia, what, what's the future for Francisco Mejia, who doesn't seem to be able to hit enough to play a corner outfield position or even second base for that matter, which is I'm obviously filled by Cronenworth at this point. What's the future with Mejia, who, who the Padres paid a hefty price tag for? Brad Hand is still pitching very su- successfully out of the bullpen in Cleveland. Is Mejia a bust? I mean, it's hard to to put that label on him, but I mean, he's still very young, switch hitter catcher with the with the rocket arm, but what is the future for Francisco Mejia when it comes to the Padres? Is he trade bait at this point? Uh, you just threw like seven questions at me. I'll try to yeah, do my best to answer them. Answer no, them in all... order, please. <laughs> yes, sir. So I've been very impressed with Austin Nola. And 
So was Rick Sutcliffe once again. You know, it's another thing talking about that ESPN broadcast. They would not stop talking about Asanola. One of the few things they actually talked about for the San Diego Padres. Well, there but, was another catcher in the game. I, I didn't. I didn't know there was another catcher. I thought Yadier yeah, Molina. Was you, ever, you ever heard of Yadier Molina? Yeah. I thought he was catching both sides of the game. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, Woodsy was giving them a lot, and it was pretty entertaining. I won't lie. Uh, <laughs> It comes with being on a national game. You know, we all love Don and Mud. Don is actually calling the Oakland Athletics and Houston Astros series on TBS. If any of you want to get your, your Don Orsillo fix, because yeah. uh, after that series, he's going to be done. And back on Austin Nola, you know, he, he was brought over really as a hitter, as a hitting catcher, because uh, Austin Hedges and Francisco Mejia just weren't getting the job done, even Luis Torrens. And when you're a catcher and you come over at the trade deadline, your hitting is not going to be as good because the primary function of your catcher is to play defense. If you don't understand that, then that's, that's tough on you. And so Austin Nola had to figure out the pitching staff first, and he was still a very feasible hitter. His OPS plus as a San Diego Padre was actually 95, which was significantly better than Francisco Mejia and Austin Hedges. And then you bring in the fact that he was blocking balls in the dirt framing, calling some really good games. Now, of course, Chris Paddock and Zach Davies didn't look good, but outside of that, he had to catch a ton of different pitchers in the series against the Cardinals and really throughout the year, uh, I guess the month, and Nola looked great. Now, uh, Francisco Mejia, I wish we could have saw him a little bit more after he came off the injured list. Uh, I, I do know his dad died over the uh, the offseason, so maybe that played a role in his struggles this year. I hope that that is the case because then he can hopefully, uh, as time goes on, he can get back to it. Cause I can't imagine losing my father, especially when I imagine his father lives in the, in the DR and then he's over here in America. So I can only imagine how hard that was on him. So not your entire focus isn't on baseball at that point. So I still have faith in Mejia. He needs to work on the plate discipline a lot because his hand-eye coordination, his bat speed, they're off the charts, especially for a switch and catcher. Uh, he showed some signs of improving defense this year behind the plate. I'm hoping that he could be the backup alongside with Luis Campusano next year. The catching spot is certainly interesting because Austin Nola has really settled himself as that starter going forward. We must mention that Jason Castro is an impending free agent after the season. There's no way the Padres throw anything at him. No. It makes no sense going forward. Wishing the best luck in free agency, of course. But mm-hmm. the catching situation is going to be very fluid because is Francisco Mejia going to be able to rebound? You know, we saw Luis Camposano play in one game. He had a home run that game. He showed why he's that top five prospect as a catcher for the San Diego Padres because he's a great hitter. Defense, we would have loved to see him play some defense in the minor leagues this year. We didn't get to do that, obviously, along with all the other prospects. So defense still remains a bit of a question mark. It seemed like he was improving in 2019. I like the future at catcher for us going forward because Austin Nola, this was his second year in the majors. He's not going to be a free agent until 2026. Do I see him being a Padre until then? Probably not, but he can certainly be the Padres catcher of the future alongside with Campusano or Mejia. They have options and good teams have options, have multiple players that they can plug in at multiple positions. I like the flexibility that Nola brings in being able to play some infield. AJ Perler has done a, a really good job in building this team. There's there's a lot of flexibility, like I mentioned. He staggered it in in a way that they should have success long-term. When you look at the, the recent draft picks, they've taken uh, a lot of high school kids because there's no need to take college kids at this point when your roster's just slammed full of talent. So you take high-end high school kids with high upside and hopefully they cultivate into something huge in, in a few years. So there's trade chips available for this team if they want to get uh, get really crazy this, this free agency and this trade season this winter. So anything else before we head out of here, man? Uh, we originally had some guests planned for today's show. Things fell through between the Padres playoffs and just a busy weekend. Things fell through. So instead, you got Dominic and I talking Padre baseball. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, Dominic, anything else before we head out of here? Uh, anything in particular about next season's possibilities? 
I think that another interesting thing that uh, fans are going to be looking at is teams who have players who are going to be making a lot of money in the upcoming years that saw a loss of money this year, which is basically every team in all of baseball, they might want to be willing to trade those players because they want to get some money off the books for them this year or for 2021. And the Potters might be able to take advantage of that and uh, see some opposing teams willing to trade players for a bit of a cheaper price because they're more interested in getting them off the books in the Potters. We do got that really good farm system still with a ton of players that have trade value. So I would not be surprised to see the Potters make a couple of moves this offseason trade-wise, along with possibly re-signing some free agents to really make sure that the roster will be good next year. Because like I said earlier, you never know. The Padres could stink in the upcoming years. They're certainly set up to not do that. They're set up for the future, but hey, you never know. Jake Cronenworth, he burst out on the scene as a rookie. Who knows? He might, he might not. not a given. Yeah, he might perform like how he did in the back half of the year. Will Myers, who knows? He could return to old form Will Myers. I, I certainly wouldn't bet on that. And there's a bunch of other players. Eric Hosmer, he had that uh, after his first two years here. He certainly uh, transformed himself back to that player he was in Kansas City. And even Manny Machado didn't play well in 2019, played extremely well in 2020. You never know. Those guys could all of a sudden go back to where they were back in 2019. Fernando Tatis Jr. has some injury history. So there's a ton of questions. You're that the bumming Potters, me out, Dominic. You're really I, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> bumming you out. I'm just saying that the Padres. This, po- this portion of the podcast was brought to you by uh, Lacosta Mortuary. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No. I mean, like, I get it. I, I was being a little pessimistic there, but I'm just saying anything's possible. You can't. Nothing is for certain in the game of baseball. No, you're you're definitely right. I think motivation. I always preach about motivation, and that's kind of I'm I'm working on a on a motivational statistic to to implement into stats somehow. If that's never possible, because motivating these guys to play the game and and be focused completely is difficult to do. It really is. It. I mean, you're talking about men who are playing baseball for a living yes a lot of them are able to keep keep focused and and be professional but sometimes they don't they aren't and it only takes a few stragglers in a 25-man roster to kind of lead the team down a, a distracted road and 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 things happen so again the coaching staff deserves a lot of praise in keeping these fight guys focused tommy fam deserves a lot of praise that's someone who's who will get in a player's face if he feels like you're not prepared, that kind of thing, it, it, it works. Uh, but again, you can't have that kind of player acting that way to a team who isn't receptive of that. So it's a, it's a magic formula that AJ Pro has created. We've talked enough about this. The, this, the, the Padres are doing well. Dominic, anything else before we get out of here? I mean, it, it's, it's obviously we're both uh, very pleased with the performance on this team in 2020. Just one more thing. Tommy Pham really complimented the uh, the pitching staff really well uh, with his leadership and the the coaching staff holding their players accountable. Like you already mentioned, Bobby Dickerson. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was that was cool to see. You know, and what, uh, go for it. Okay. Well, one thing I'm, I was I forgot to mention on Pham is the other day uh, after Myers' home run, his first home run in the two home run game, when Myers went to the bat rack and put his bat down, I saw Pham come up to Myers. And tell Will Myers to talk to the on deck batter and tell them what he just saw. I think it was Austin Noah. But things like that are what create a winning atmosphere, what create a winning team. You know, he didn't come up to congratulate Myers. He went up to tell him, hey, what did he just see? What did go to tell 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 Nola what he just what you just saw? And I saw Myers motion like fastball in or whatever motion to him. That's the little things that make this team successful. And that's the type of stuff. I wish I would have caught it on camera and tweeted that out because it was it was a beautiful thing. And it's kind of thing that that true diehard fans will appreciate. I mean, the guy just hit a home run and, and, he, and a guy comes up to him, not to congratulate him, to tell him, hey, tell your teammates what you just saw. I mean, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, it's just the Potters, they're doing things, the little things that they haven't done in years prior. And that's why I do have... Some hope that the Potters can win this series against the Dodgers. I hope that they they can hold on because, I mean, 
I don't want to not have to watch Padres baseball for the upcoming weeks. I want to be able to watch the Padres in the NLCS going up against either the Braves or the Marlins. I don't want to watch the Dodgers play anymore. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It could be worse. You could be in San Diego and have the Devil Rays and the Yankees playing at Peckle Park. God, just 2020 just just never ends, right? No, it never does. There, There is some stuff this weekend where I'm like, oh, man. Oh, it was uh, Robbie Ray was pitching for the Blue Jays. And I looked up his pitching stats because Robbie Ray pitched for the first half of the year with the Diamondbacks. And Robbie Ray, in his time with the Diamondbacks this year, led the National League in walks. That includes all the pitchers who pitched in September for the National League. In his time with the Diamondbacks, he led the National League in walks for the entire (laughs) season. That is incredible. That was 2020 to me. Yeah, Ray, Ray is one of those pitchers who just can he can't get go over five innings. I mean, he'll strike out ten, but he'll walk six, and it, it, it yeah, it is what it is. He's a uh, free agent. Yeah, the, the, maybe a relief option, but then then again, with how wild is he's not a relief option. I mean, the K's are are beautiful, but uh, we'll see. All right, Dominic, uh, successful show. Being that it was just you and I, uh, we ran a little bit over. Folks, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was episode 126 of the EVT podcast. Please give us a follow. Dominic is at DMstern19 on Twitter. I am at EVT underscore J Clark. We are the EVT podcast, and we thank you very much. Signing out.